Welcome to Beyond Meditation Podcast. I'm Anna. And I'm Jazzy. We started this podcast to share new ways to quiet the mind, get in touch with who you really are, and find alignment with purpose. We are here to empower you with our stories, tools, and knowledge. So grab some tea, bring your journal, and let's go go Beyond beyond meditation. Meditation. Welcome everyone to Beyond Meditation Podcast. We are so excited to have Michelle Jiguer. Did I say that right? Yes. <laughs> On with us. Um, Michelle is a licensed psychotherapist, trauma and energy healing practitioner that gained extensive experience, a full spectrum of a psychiatric diagnosis while gaining her clinical hours, working for five years at a locked inpatient psychiatric hospital in which she was the on the most acute locked unit for two and a half years and two years in the outpatient department. Subsequently, she has worked for a residential treatment center in Los Angeles beginning in 2020 to present while building her private practice. She is currently contracted to provide EMDR somatic therapy and energy Reiki healing at this treatment center as a holistic trauma specialist. Now she has a full private practice in Camarillo, seeing clients virtually offering EMDR blended with somatic therapy and distance healing and in person for those seeking therapeutic services, as well as energetic healing. In her spare time, she is a she's part of a paranormal investigating team as a sensitive since 2017 for the local area. She continues to further her training in this area of uh, metaphysics, working in clear attachment, entanglements, and house clearings. Her approach is informed by holistic integration of practices to help reconnect mind, body, and soul on a deeper level. Her strength lies in how she blends extensive training in EMDR, somatic therapy, CBT, also known as cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, negative core beliefs, and Reiki energy healing. With intuitive gifts herself, she works with a variety of clients with a particular strength, working with individuals that are highly sensitive and or empathetic, gifted offering special tools and techniques to help manage these sensitivities and abilities, develop energetic boundaries, grounding, and expand their gifts and intuition if desired. She has a profile in psychology today and remote EMDR platform where you can check her out and contact for her uh, for more information and services. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you. What an extensive background and extremely impressive. I know I would not be able to do a completely locked down um, facility that takes a very unique personality, a very unique skill set and credentials. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into that field? Wow. Yeah, that was um, such incredible training ground um, for me. and. Um, I, it was as part of how I started there was part of my, um, like the practicum portion of clinical training, um, with my graduate degree. So I was taken on there part-time as an intern 
unpaid 20 hours a week. And there was several different departments that they have. Um, and I was at uh, Vista Del Mar Hospital, which is local here. And there's a military department, there's an um, out, outpatient department, there is um, addiction, there, there was a unit, this is pre-fire, so it's changed a little bit since Tom, the Thomas fire. Right. Um, but there was, you know, um, a unit that was just for, you know, addiction um, issues, detoxing, things like that. That's not, that wasn't locked. And then they had um, two separate other units. One was mainly adolescent and then adult, you know, not acute, but still on holds. And then there's, there was the most acute unit, which was severe and persistent um, where you'd find or where I worked with um, people that were in an acute phase of, you know, a manic episode, um, various psychotic disorders, either with bipolar or schizophrenia spectrum. Um, and it was incredibly difficult, you know, at first, just for me personally to see just the standard of living and how these people are treated by society. Um, and it just made me feel so much empathy for what these people are going through. And also working with that, you know, I gravitated and where they ended up putting me was on the most acute unit because I was like, these are my people. <laughs> These are my people. Not all of these people are, you know, what I would call psychotic. You know, there are, there is a line between, you know, giftedness and psychosis. Sometimes they can occur together, but not all the time. And what I was seeing was and experiencing were other things around these patients that were, you know, outside of them. Um, certain energies, I could see a lot of what was going on on the unit. And that's also, you know, where my, my gift went through a really big blooming period is what I would kind of call it. Um, so that was just, you know, as far as my clinical training in psychology, that experience really um, exposed me to like the full spectrum of diagnoses, just like the DSM just came alive. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, I really liked it, but it was, it was very difficult, you know, at first, just because of the standard of living and the, the treatment that the horrible treatment that people get that are, you know, battling severe mental health diagnoses. Incredible. I always find it interesting how when we're aligned in our path and we're practicing, you know, um, living out our true soul's purpose, how much our gifts come online. Um, yeah. It's not just about like practicing clairvoyance or practicing whatever it is. It's about like truly following that path and how much uh, our intuition blossoms. And even with you, as you mentioned um, in your bio, you're now, you know, doing some paranormal um, mm -hmm. investigations alongside with helping people recuperate who they really are. 
um, which is incredible. So um, thank you for doing that work, especially in our community here in Camarillo um, in Ventura County. Um, for those of you that don't know what the DSM is, DSM is a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health. Um, and it's what psychologists use to diagnose. And it has all of the disorders listed. It's used as a reference. Um, it's still the DSM-5, right? They haven't come out with yes. this. Yes. As far as I'm aware of, we're still functioning under the DSM-5. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So there is a very specific training that happens um, with one of the um, methods that you use, which is e EDM. EDMR. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how do you decide when to use that method? Yeah, um, that, so EMDR um, is a treatment that was developed like approximately, I think it's been about 30 years now or more. Um, and it was derived out of what we know of REM sleep. So in REM is when we're dreaming and REM is when our mind is trying to make sense of the experiences that we've had. Um, and when we've had traumatic experiences or events that have happened that caused the system to go into a stress response, we will loop in these you know, nightmares. It's, you know, one of the major, one of the, one of the major um, symptoms of PTSD is the nightmares. And that's because it gets locked in our system. We can't resolve it. So our mind is trying to resolve it while we're in REM. And, and because of REM, you know, the eyes are going back and forth. They're dotting from, darting from left to right. And so this was, noticed by the individual that developed EMDR. And that is kind of the premise of where it came from. So in, in some practitioners still use a visual stimulus, so they'll use like their fingers. Um, I use a, for remote um, clients, I, have, I use a platform called Remote EMDR where there's a visual and an auditory stimulus. Um, but what it is doing, the bilateral stimulation, which I think more people are aware of what that is now, um, because there's things on YouTube, people can hear, okay, here's bilateral stimulation for this and that and this, and all of that came out of EMDR. And what it is doing is it's alternating, exciting the left and right hemisphere of the brain back and forth. So it's replicating what the eyes are doing during REM. And when that is happening, it puts the, the mind, and I use the mind to, you know, as a, as a definition, is not just the brain, it's the whole body, it's the nervous system, so it's specific for um, EMDR. And it puts the brain in a theta brainwave, which is similar to Reiki, hypnosis, I think the list could, could just go on. Um, and when the brain is in that state, we are able to access, um, the unconscious and the subconscious, which is synonymous with the nervous system, the fight, flight, and freeze and the brainstem. So 
what EMDR stands for is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And when we've had traumatic experiences, they get frozen in our nervous system. They get frozen in our body. It's a way that our mind works to be able to function in this world. When we've had traumatic experiences, our psyche takes them and stores them in a certain part of our body. And they're also stored in our nervous system. So through the process of EMDR, we go back and reprocess traumatic experiences. And part it's it's really complex how the process unfolds, but it's it's multi-phased. Um, and we don't progress beyond the first phase until I am certain that the nervous system is ready to be able to progress. So it is it's actually very a very careful process in the beginning. Um, and not everybody is a candidate for EMDR. Um, the main diagnosis that's contraindicated is um, a seizure disorder or epilepsy. Um, and that doesn't mean we can't do EMDR, but it just needs to be approved by their neurologist. So if they're on medications that are effectively managing it, at times I've been able to continue to, I've been able to work with EMDR with some, with some clients, but it has to be approved by their neurologist because it can induce um, seizures. Um, trying to think anything. Did I answer your question? No, that was beautiful. Yeah, that was, that was absolutely perfect. Yeah. Hi, Michelle. Hi. <laughs> I am so glad that you brought up the fact that, you know, you wait until the nervous system is ready. And I'd love to dive into more of that, of how, you know, yeah. because personally I've been through some somatic experiencing yeah. and I don't know if I necessarily believed my therapist when she was like, Oh, it's, it's going to take a toll on you. And I was like, Oh girl, it did. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. was like exhausted for two days. Yeah, it was crazy. So can you tell me more about how you assess that? Yes, absolutely. So the, the first phase, um, and there, there's a lot that I, I kind of need to see where somebody is in their own healing process, um, before we can start EMDR, but the first phase is called resourcing and you know, we think of like generally resources as being like external and we go to, a, you know, some sort of community center to get resources. And what this is talking about is internal resourcing. So the resourcing phase begins with, I step, step through and lead and guide the client through a guided imagery exercise and there's two major main ones that i that i use and the first one i start with is peaceful place so like happy place um we create that together and i'm gauging through a scaling question at multiple times throughout sessions as we go the whole time through, you know, all of the phases of EMDR. 
and the scale is from zero to 10 and it's, you know, 10 is, you know, intensity of discomfort, zero is none or neutral or peaceful. And when I start, you know, I take that reading before I even start resourcing to gauge where the person is at internally. Um, and that, you know, intensity of discomfort is really in three different measures. It's intensity of sensation in the body. So where does somebody like somatic, where does somebody hold, you know, most of their anxiety? Is it more in the chest? Is it pit in the stomach? Is it, you know, hands are, you know, tightly clenched? Where do they experience that? And and so that's one measure. And then there's the emotional. So how intense is an emotion that you're feeling as far as anger, sadness, joy, fear, um, or thought, content, or speed? So when we get, you know, at a higher intensity of discomfort in thought, so thoughts can pick up speed. They can start racing or um, images can be coming up. Um, that are disturbing, that, you know, maybe coming up that were from, you know, a traumatic experience. So in the resourcing phase, depending on where they start, that tells me, okay, are we starting at a seven? And this person is already has a very elevated anxiety um, in their, in their body and in their system. And I'm just working in the first session to reduce that. Um, and how long does that take? So if in the first session, the client, for example, at starting at a seven, we can bring it down to a five by the end of the session, that's going to be more, that's that person's nervous system is going to need more resourcing phase, like extended resourcing phase. Um, and through this, if if they start at a lower, say they start at five, we go through the first guided imagery exercise and they come, they're like, oh, now I'm a one and a half or a two. They feel really calm. And then I we do a pendulating exercise, which is like a somatic type of exercise in which I have them recall something that was annoying or distressing, like mildly distressing in the last 24 hours. And then we, I bring them to that and we lean into that and see how high their intensity gets. And then we, I bring it back down. So while that's happening, I'm pairing it with a slow speed bilateral stimulation, which is really important. So the slow speed initiates the parasympathetic nervous system. So that's the um, we that's the calming nervous system reaction to distress. So if we go in, if our system goes into a fight or fight or flight, that's the sympathetic nervous system is activated to for survival. And on the flip side is the opposite, which calms the system and brings it back to a homeostasis. So the slow speed, is key in pairing with the calm, calmer internal state. So we, I stay, you know, in the resourcing phase with each client, depending on how, 
how flexible or inflexible their nervous system is. So can we go up to a seven and come back to a two? Um, or we're at a seven and, and I have to go and we'll, we'll create the next, the next type of resource, which is a, a safe container. So that is my assessment. And it's, I will never know where anybody's nervous system is based on what I read as far as what they've experienced. Um, there's too many variables. Um, even, you know, EMDR is an approved treatment for the military population. So it's covered under TRICARE, TriWest Insurance Company. So it's it's known to be an approved, at least one cog in the wheel of treatment for PTSD. Um, and I will never know um, based on anything I read because how resilient somebody's nervous system is, it that's a whole field of study in and of itself. So, so I don't progress past the resourcing phase. And the next, the next stage is desensitization. So that's when we're really diving into some deep trauma work. And I have to be sure that when we do go into some deeper trauma work that is really intense, that at the end of session, I can bring them back to resource and pull their system back down. That is incredible. I love how detailed you're getting about the treatment because in reality, you know, if I go into like survival state, I'm not necessarily looking for a therapist, right? I'm trying to soothe my own self. And so when people come and see you, they're not necessarily in that state, but there are things that need to be pulled out, things that need to come to the surface and release. Can you talk a little bit about the different somatic type therapies that you use and how do you decide based on an individual? And I know it's going to be case by case. You can give a few examples of like how you've used some of these therapies. Yeah. So um, somatic therapy, you have to also be very careful because if somebody isn't resourced, um, you can just open up a traumatic experience through their uh, uh, somewhere in their body. It could be literally anywhere. But if we go into that, like even just bringing their attention, okay, let's bring your attention to that pit in your stomach. Okay. So let's describe it. How big is it? How wide is it? What is, is there an element that's associated with it? Is it metal? Is it wood? Is it fire? Is it heat? Is it cold, heavy, dense? All of these like descriptions. It's a whole other vocabulary um, that somatic therapy kind of functions under. And it's like, well, I don't know how to describe sensations. It just, it feels like there's an elephant on my chest. I'm like, okay, okay. So how, how, wide is that? How heavy is it? And, and if what comes to mind, if you just open, if you go into that sensation, is there any time that comes up? Is there any experience? And there always is. There's always a sensation that's connected to something old that was painful in some way. And you have, uh, we have to be very careful in going in that. And with certain dance techniques and yoga, 
certain things get opened because when you go through and, and do different poses or movements, it can unleash traumatic memories. So even, you know, those kinds of exercises have to be very, you have to be very careful. It's so true. Even with Reiki or anytime you put anybody in like a theta state or even breath work, like those things can come up. And I often wonder like people that just kind of get certificates in these things, like how are they dealing with the people that have these traumatic experiences that they may have repressed and don't even have memory of, and they are now totally confused and ill-equipped to handle these um, type of memories that are come up. Yeah, it can cause a flooding and and then literally cause an onset of PTSD. Um, And for somatic, um, experiencing, you actually don't have to be a therapist to get that certificate, um, which is, which is a little scary. Um, EMDR different. You have to be a, you have to be a clinician to, to be able to practice that. But with somatic, you don't, at least as, 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 as far as it stands right now. So for those looking to do somatic work, I would recommend going with a therapist that's actually a a licensed therapist. Or they can also pair it with having a licensed therapist and still do their yoga and breath and all of that good stuff. Um, But having, I always promote this in a lot of our shows and whenever I speak, like it's so good to have a team of people that you can trust and see and um, and have different ranges of knowledge and experiences because that you'll have the best support with all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I very much. That's very crucial. And it is, is you know, if you could have a team, you know, and, and we're engaging as many cogs in the wheel for healing at the same time, just yields the most beneficial process, really. Um, and safe and safe process, because if anybody has experienced PTSD and knows what flooding is, um, knows what I'm talking about. And that could render somebody not functional for weeks. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny that you mentioned, you know, you know, go see a licensed therapist, because I was talking to a girlfriend of mine, she went to college with me. So we, we both have um, degrees in psychology mm-hmm. and I was, I was laughing with her. I said, my chiropractor literally did EMDR on me and I have no idea where he learned it. Like it was so weird. It was the most bizarre experience I've ever had. Cause I knew what he was doing and I knew what modality he was using, but I'm like, wow, what's happening right now? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely being, you know, careful and discerning in who we go to. for. Mm. So when you're assessing a new client and they come to you, how do you know which modality to start with, with them? Um, So initially, you know, I do my initial assessment and I don't do a full like initial assessment because it's really dry and it can, I, I do it in a, in a very talk kind of therapy way. Um, 
but I can, I can gauge, I mean, also energetically because I'm attuned to that as well. So I am tuning into them, but I'm also, you know, seeing, you know, behavioral cues or certain, you know, motor, motor things that are happening. If somebody's very shaky or, you know, there's so many subtle cues that tell me how flexible or inflexible somebody's system is. And sometimes people just need to cry. They just need to have space initially for that emotional energy to release and flow. Um, so I really move very intuitively with people. Um, and with EMDR, you know, my, my process is, is pretty, um, I don't want to say rigid, but it's, I'm very, very careful, you know, when I'm kind of assessing and, you know, where somebody is at. And if it, if I'm the best option for that person in their stage or not, I'm kind of later, a little bit later in somebody's healing stage. Um, there needs to be a little bit of level of being able to self-regulate. Um, and I'm, I can work with somebody, you know, that, that has trouble with that at where, wherever they are, but, um, we'd be doing a lot of resourcing. We'd be doing a lot of grounding, um, kind of seeing also what the strengths are for each person. And I really tune into that because we all have strengths and, you know, therapy can feel like, okay, I'm coming to you for all my problems. And it can be, you know, sometimes problem focused or pathology focused, which I don't particularly like, and really finding where their individual strengths are, um, I think is key because we all have that resilience in us and our bodies and minds have an innate ability to heal. We just have to like get out of the way, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, therapists and healers have maps to help people. Um, but it's also, you know, where somebody is and if they're really ready um, to do their own work. Mm. Where yeah. are they in their process? Yes. So when did, at what point did you start incorporating these modalities into your personal practice? Like what was the catalyst for that? I'm so curious. Yeah, it was really like um, brought on, I think, when I was on the acute unit and I was seeing energy so much more clearly and seeing people's auric field. There was a lot of orbs going on in that unit as well, because it was, it's just old grounds <laughs> there. Um, so there are lots of things going on, on those grounds. Um, but seeing, you know, what stood out to me, and I tell this story a lot is this lovely, oh my God, this lovely patient, that poor guy was just so acutely manic and bursting with energy. You know, there's so much energy in the body and their like whole, their whole system. 
and it looked like the 4th of July fireworks um, in, in his auric field around him. And, and it was really like, you know, that point where I'm like, whoa, okay. So I can kind of diagnose by aura what's going on. I can't write that in my clinical notes, but, um, <laughs> but I, I can see what's going on. And, and so, you know, after I finished my clinical training, got licensed, it's then that therapists can decide on what they want to specialize in and really go with what works for them in their own style. And so I'm like, I've got to fold these, this gift in and the empathy gift as well in feeling where people are holding certain somatic, you know, or trauma, traumatic memories in their body. I can feel it. So how am I going to fold it in? And I was like, Hmm, thinking and thinking and Reiki. I didn't really know what Reiki was exactly, but I just knew that I wanted to learn more and what is energy healing and okay, well, I'm really attuned to these energies and I can see it and I can feel it. How can this be, you know, melted into my practice? And then it just came to me. I'm like, well, I'm going to go get training in Reiki (laughs) and see, see what happens. And 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 I went through that process in level one and level two. And then it's been a year now that I've been master trained. Um, I say master trained because I haven't trained anybody in Reiki. And that's part of you know the process of progression um, and calling yourself a master. So um, so I'm master trained. And then I've was, you know, with certain clients that were open to, Hey, I, you know, I'm, I really like to try blending, um, energy healing along with EMDR and bilateral stimulation, either alternating it. So it just can help the system move through and process traumatic experiences. Like what you described after having that somatic, that somatic response and then being really, really tired which is very common after EMDR sessions or internally processing can continue for like three to five hours. Somatic body processing can continue for like a week. So, so Reiki after that, or at least alternating it weekly along with the EMDR in person really eases the system through the process and it moves moves the system through it faster. So it cuts down that um, therapy hangover, EMDR hangover. I love that. That is incredible. And I can definitely speak to experiencing two modalities at the same time. I like, Anna, I'm, I'm just going to talk about my experience with you yesterday. So Anna um, did a womb regression for me yesterday and she incorporated Reiki in it. And I, I can't even put into words what that felt like and how, how different it was from different past life regressions or what have you in feeling it more powerfully and also easing me into it and easing me 
out of it. Like I had so much energy afterwards. And usually I'm pretty lethargic. I'm pretty, I usually have energy afterwards, but it was just very different. So I can only imagine pairing EMDR with Reiki and sound. I, I saw your sound bowls, girl. You have some amazing <laughs> sound bowls <laughs> um, and crystals and all of the things that you use in your energy healing practices, along with like your clinical yeah. practices. I think that that's, that's an incredible thing to have for your patients. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's, it's amazing how it's working. Um, and you know, it is somewhat experimental. So my clients are aware of that and, um, the distance, it, you know, the distance healing paired with EMDR is, has, is slightly different as well than you know, a full EMDR session. And then later in the week, a full Reiki in-person session. Um, I think, you know, that's a little bit more effective, but what is happening with the distance healing and the, the teletherapy remote EMDR is also what you just described. Um, it, you know, clients that I had done only EMDR remotely with that are now, I have one client that now is just, um, we're just bringing in the distance healing along with it. And the recovery period is cut like in half, if not more. So, and the, the, the level of processing people don't get as stuck in that, in the negative core belief tape that is, you know, connected to the traumatic experience itself. It eases them to the adaptive belief much more easily. Um, so it's, it just is, a, it's a much gentler, it's a gentler way of moving through, you know, healing trauma. That's so beautiful. And it makes me really excited because I do feel like in the next 10 years, this is going to be part of the training, part of the curriculum. You know, when you first go to school for psychology, they they teach you all sorts of therapies. And then, like you said, as a, as a, as you become a therapist, you kind of pick and choose what your niche is and yeah. how you're going to how you're going to um, deliver those practices. And I feel like a lot of this um energy healing that's happening in the world is going to soon, excuse me, it's going to soon be incorporated into clinical practices. I hope so. You know, I, I definitely have a solid amount of therapists that are coming to me for the energy piece and that work. So <laughs> we're, we're catching on, you know, I think therapists are like myself, at least that want something more to be able to offer people. That's not just like, here's some worksheets, come see me next week or do this and that, and not this I'll see you next week. Um, and more of a transformative experience with each within the session. Um, and how can, yeah, well, we can talk about traumatic experiences. We can talk about these painful things, but what's going to really shift that? Because talk therapy has it a very, very beneficial and needed for 
us. We've known that for, you know, since we've been alive, that we need to speak and talk about our experiences and share, be witnessed and be heard. But to really process trauma, um, talk therapy is not sufficient. Um, not enough. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's not. It's not deep enough. And for, I, I think that's, you know, what clinicians are really, you know, attuning to. And we're in, we're, we're all in a helping profession for a reason. And, you know, ideally the, the, the good reason is to help actually help and not just kind of, you know, surface level helping. I mean, that's where I'm coming from anyway. I think we all are. And and I, you know, I so appreciate this conversation with both of you because it helps me, you know, even with my practice, just, you know, thank you, Jazzy, for sharing your experience with the womb regression because, and Michelle with explaining how it works from your point of view, because now it's like, I can blend those two together. So I'm not just leaving someone hanging with this. You know, we, we do a lot of work with safe space, but how can we incorporate that Reiki in there? So I am so excited for the next steps, at least for me personally. And hopefully, you know, as more of us continue to do it, you know, it just keeps getting spread out. Um, yeah. yeah, Cause I'm one of those people I need to see it and understand it before I can incorporate it. And so like the light bulb just went that off. Makes so thank you. Sense. That's big sense because every time you brought up hypnosis, I'm like, and Reiki, you got to do the Reiki too. I was like, how do <laughs> oh, I blend that? Patience. I'm so glad that this is. And with my experience, Ada, I'm telling you, that was, it was so beautiful. And it was so, I felt very held. Very. Good. So amazing. Oh, <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Yeah. I've done it with you and one other person and both have been very, very positive. So I'm so excited to, to start bringing this. That's beautiful. Anyways, not to make it about me, but. <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little bit about your paranormal, um, experiences because every time you and I talk, I, I feel like we can talk forever about this topic. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, or tell our listeners a little bit about how you got on that path and how do you continue to do that work in the community? Yeah. Um, I think how I got on that path, you know, it was like undergrad in psychology, you know, and, and myself in my generation, like grew up with the Ghostbusters. I know that was like a poignant movie when I was little and like, what is this whole world of the paranormal parapsychology. Um, and previously it seemed like it had a lot more, um, visibility. People were using like parapsychology was a department and, um, and that initially was what drew me to, you know, getting my bachelor's in psychology. I'm like, Ooh, I want to do that. And, um, how can I test this and experiments in that investigatory part of my brain that wants to, okay, like, let's make sense of this. And how can we measure this and know that we're measuring what we think we're measuring? And, you know, what are the technologies that at that time we didn't, we had much less. Now we have so much more technology and there's so many experiences that people talk about 
um, some of them traumatic that they've experienced in their homes or in certain locations, or maybe they are sensitive themselves. So they're like that beacon of light that we, we know, <laughs> we probably, we know what that's like. Um, it's like a moth to, you know, flame and what is happening and how is the environment being changed and what is being changed and can it be replicated? And, you know, all of these questions of what is this whole faction of events that mass people have seen, continue to see, see have seen over lifetimes and how, how can we measure it? And people generally come wanting to know that they're not crazy. Like, am I going crazy? <laughs> or is there something, is there, is there a logical, some sort of natural explanation for what's going on? Um, and I've always been attuned to places and spaces, you know, much like my gifts are evolving, you know, into energy work and, and that now. Um, I grew up on the, I grew up in New England and Maine. So those are very old structures that are much older than the structures out here in California, um, except for missions are, are pretty full of, of energies. That's where I, I kind of go. Say, I always say every time I go back East, like every place and crevice is haunted. Well, you know, there's homes that were built and they have plaques that are like 1500s. So, you know, hundreds of years of cycles of life and family living in these places. And there was so many experiences that I had growing up um, that are just, you cannot explain. So, you know, that, that's something that I've always been attuned to and can tune into remotely even spaces that people start talking to me about and I will start getting, you know, seeing kind of what the structure is, where there may be an energy or being of some sort. And, and so my body is like a tuning fork and I met my teammate or one of my team members on the acute unit. We were, she's also a clinician and she was telling me, you know, about she she finally came out with it and was like, I do paranormal investigating. And I'm like, what? 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 Oh my God. Tell me more. I'm like, I didn't know what to call myself. I still don't, I still am not sure other than clinician. Um, but tell me more. I'm kind of sensitive. So, and we just, she brought me to a few investigations and I'm like a tuning fork. So I, you know, I'm you like, are. yeah, oh, you definitely are like right here. Oh, something is here. Okay. Let's get the instruments. Let's see if we can measure. Um, we have REM pods. We have, she has a lot more. We have a lot of those like ghost hunting types of um, technology that, you know, people that watch those shows are familiar with. And we we go into certain places. I have a, a, a private client that I'm go, we're going to go do an investigation in Ventura County. Um, we did a, a really big one in Carpinteria 
at a historical location through the city. And that's all I'll say, because I don't think I can say anymore specifically because people don't want to be known that this is happening or that they are seeking this kind of service. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of been, you know, there's this offshoot of my, of what I enjoy doing. Um, and, you know, we don't charge for any of that kind of service. Um, and that's the kind of training that I'm furthering currently, part of it, of how to clear, you know, working with clients at the residential. And since I've been blending the energy work, I'm like, there is other things going on with people that's not just the, you know, quote unquote, mental health diagnosis. <laughs> Do you have any stories that you can share with us? Maybe a quick one on, on an area that you cleared and, you know, I, I haven't cleared. Yeah, no, I haven't cleared yet. So that I am like in the middle, I'm just beginning to do that training. Okay. Um, because, you know, it's been, you know, doing the investigations and yes. Okay. We can, we've identified that there is something going on. Um, and you know, is it conclusive of an individual, you know, spirit or, or what have you? Um, maybe we can't explain conclusively. Um, and I'm up against, you know, currently or recently, like, okay, well, we can go in and investigate and collect data on a place. Um, but then what? Right. You know, people are being really impacted by what's going on in their dwellings. Um, then they need help. <laughs> so how can these, how can I, how can we help, you know, and take another step that's not just collecting data, how viable, how, you know, how viable is that to be of assistance and really help? You know, I will, I will know more as I, as I learn and continue my own training in that area. Mm -hmm. I am curious because for a really long time, when I was a kid, I remember hearing about, maybe reading about this, the study or something had happened with this man that was in jail and he, they had um, basically deemed him psychotic, right? Like he was super manic. He had killed another person. And there was a psychic that like said, he, he's actually shouldn't be in jail. There's a, one of his wisdom teeth is like on his nerve and that nerve has brought him, you know, has enabled him to act out of character. And that like, was like, wait, what? Mm. Like that really gave me a huge light bulb over my head because I was like, well, what are some other ways that people can be affected? in not being themselves holistically. And so that brings me to kind of like entities and attachments and how ghosts or other type of energies can attach to people. How do you discern, like, is that a belief that you have as well? And if so, how do you discern between a mental illness and somebody needing some sort of clearing service or wisdom teeth pulling <laughs> That. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, there's all the, the rule of thumb is to rule out a, you know, a biological cause for what is happening. Um, so that's the first course 
of action always. Okay, so is there a biological reason? Is okay, so they're they're pinching and a nerve is being pinched, which is altering their you know uh, state of perception and of reality, um, and or there's psychosis going on, and it it's a really blurry line. Um, I think, you know, for, for myself and experiencing, you know, schizophrenic spectrum diagnoses, rarely do I think it's like just one thing, you know, like just psychosis, like, wait, well, how, you know, is this person also, you know, it can, what they're experiencing be folded in and managed you know, into their functioning of daily life and reality. Um, and what is the content of what's happening? You know, what, what are they experiencing? And, and, you know, for me now and being able to, to see these dark blobs, I'll describe them as blobs. Sometimes it'll be a string or there's like this connection this piece of like dark, dark gray or black energy for lack of, you know, better word um, that continues to come back. Or if I start pulling or I'll start seeing more. So that's an indication visually for me to go, oh no, there's more going on here. So let's Okay, so do, do they need to be stabilized on, on medications because that may be necessary? So if that's necessary, let's do that. Let's handle that um, because that could be making their system more susceptible to other energies attaching themselves. Um, and let's do let's get that stabilization to wherever that is for that person with medications and then let's deal energetically with what's going on and and then see how that impacts their system it's so like it's very case by case you know is there an addiction you know some of the attachments are going to be derived from the own individual and and some will argue that they are all derived you know in some way to the individual. So where is their, what attachment or negative attachment do they have that is, you know, inhibiting their own functioning? And is it a substance that is a heat that, that like is like a magnet for attachments because it weakens the system. It weakens the body. It weakens the mind. It weakens everything. So is there a, you know, an unhealthy mental attachment that the person has? Um, and if so, where are they in their own process in releasing that or stopping that behavior or healing that? And, you know, we, anybody can help someone as far as they are willing to be helped. Um, so, you know, it's really for me initially, it's visually because I see the energy. So, 
you know, or it'll come into the room when I'm doing Reiki session and I can see, oh, there's something connected to this person's foot that's blocking their throat and it's running all the way through their system. And I can see this, you know, this shadow thing in the corner of the room. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a particular client that I was just working with. Um, with the treatment center and when I, where I'm seeing this so frequently there, I have a limited amount of time that I'm working with people because they're there for as long as insurance will cover, or if they have, if, you know, if they do have the funds, um, which is extremely expensive, then they can stay longer if they do have that support. But usually I'm under like a, a month to two months window that I can intensely work with someone in that setting. I was going to ask about that. Like, what are like some of the repercussions or um, outcomes that someone might have if they're in middle of an ED, EMDR or a somatic type therapy with you? I mean, you've gotten so far with them that you're now doing this therapy and then all of a sudden they drop off the face of the planet. Like they can't afford it anymore. Life gets too busy. Mm-hmm. Like what are some of the things that, that someone might expect if they all of a sudden stop treatment? Um, yeah, I mean, they're going to more than likely there. I mean, we all would do this as we're going to fall into the, you know, we're going to fall into old patterns. Um, they're more comfortable. They're easy to fall right back into. Um, and you know, with, when I'm working with clients at the, at the residential, um, setting and it's their first time doing EMDR you know, the first session is really discussing, okay, what are your expectations? What, what do you know about EMDR? You know, there's kind of a buzz, there's the buzzword about it now. I want EMDR, but do, do they understand what the process really entails? And so depending on the extent of somebody's, you know, traumatic experiences or what, you know, is it developmental? And this is like a lifelong you know, are we working with attachment trauma and, you know, trauma through development? Um, Then, you know, my, I'm kind of triaging them, you know, in my mind, in a way that I'm like, if we, if I can get them solidly resourced and the resource phase is complete, then I personally feel comfortable with them going to another EMDR therapist. with you know, as long as they are resourced. So if, if I can complete the resourcing phase at the residential setting, that's great. Um, and sometimes people's systems can sail much faster and can go through the resourcing phase in one, in one session, and then we're on to, um, processing. And I, you know, People's mind knows where to go when we're doing EMDR. Um, and I trust the person. I trust their mind, where they need to go, you know, identify also certain goals, like, you know, what what are some expectations or is there a major traumatic experience that we could focus on while you're here if we get to reprocessing, you know, and kind of like prioritizing while they're in that setting. Um, but then the momentum just 
takes a, on a life of its own. And I'm just there with them, you know, processing it. I'm just walking, walking beside them. I love um, that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's really important to say, you know, you're trusting the process, you're trusting their mind, you know, because somebody probably experiencing that is, you know, it's helpful to have somebody else trusting that because stuff could be coming up and they're like, I don't even know how this relates, you know, or. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I'll say this a lot. We, I will say this in EMDR. Sometimes we are following the white rabbit yeah. and yeah. one case, it was a, a white owl and <laughs> then the white owl. And because the mind has a way of bringing us to something that's really intense in a symbolic kind of beating around the bush sort of way. Um, and it's a, a little bit gentler approach that our mind takes just to protect us. So there like is literally no wrong direction. There's never a wrong direction. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I feel like it, I could always talk to you forever about these. <laughs> um, so if somebody wanted to reach out to you and, um, get in touch, how might they find you? They can find me on psychology today. Um, if they look in Camarillo, I mean, my name isn't, uh, nobody else has my last name that I know of on psychology today. So, um, so I'm, I think I'm pretty easy to find there also on, if they're specifically looking for remote, um, EMDR services, the remote EMDR platform is similar to uh, psychology today in that therapists are on there. They have their bios, what insurances they carry, what do they um, specialize in? And they are all EMDR therapists. So, and they use that platform. And I would recommend if you're going to do it remote, use a therapist that is, um, that uses that platform. Amazing. And I will link both of those. I will link your profile both on the episode below and thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and all of your experiences with us and our listeners. Um, for everyone out there, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a review. We would really appreciate that um, so that others might find this story and empower them as well. Hope everyone has a beautiful week and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.